This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm once again joined by David Hughes after what feels like uh, an extended period off. Yeah. Uh, you was in America, wasn't you? Yeah, I was in uh, I was in LA, had a great time, stayed in the Hoxton, it was a fantastic hotel for anybody going over there, definitely do book it. Um, I'm not paid to say <laughs> that, but <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, hashtag ad. Yeah. Um, but no, joking aside, I had a really, uh, really good time over there. Um, good break and now first day back at it, uh, hence the delayed pod. Yeah, we are recording on the Thursday. Uh, the last episode that went up was last Tuesday, so we've had a few a few goings on in between. Uh, so we're going to have to balance things in terms of what we analyse in the, in the hour. First, you're going to talk about Genk. Uh, it does feel like it was a long time ago, but we haven't really addressed it, so we're going to touch upon that. We're going to touch upon yesterday's cricket match. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't, I don't even think you can call it a football match for no. me. Uh, so we'll have a brief word about that and we'll also talk about obviously Spurs, uh, the win over Spurs and look ahead to Villa. Um, so we'll start with the fairest away match, briefly touch upon it, Genk. Mm. Um, just, uh, I, th- I think it was uh, an insight into maybe the future of, of Liverpool's midfield eventually. Mm. But I, I will say that I think yesterday in the match with Arsenal we sort of... Uh, and insight into why it's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like if yesterday's game hadn't happened, this segment would have been a little bit different, wouldn't it? But yeah, it did, and we'll probably come on to that in a bit. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I thought, um, obviously, we played uh, Naby Keita in midfield. We played Oxley Chamberlain in midfield together for the first time, um, and we played Milner as our right back. And I thought it was interesting just to see how our attacking dynamic altered mm. uh, because. Obviously, from from a basic perspective, you're still employing a four three three. So the common perception would be you're still attacking in the same way. Mm. But if you haven't got the same players, you're really not. Mm. So we we played Milner, and I wrote a piece on this as well. Um, we we played Milner as our right back, but Milner just fulfilled the role differently to Alexander Arnold. He stayed deeper, and then we played Chamberlain, obviously, as the right side of the midfielder who played in a more advanced manner to how Henderson usually was mm. would. And I think Naby Keita did play similarly to Wijnaldum usually does. I think it would maybe a bit more offensive. But I just thought it was interesting just how, how the the formation stayed the same, but how players just introduced their own takes mm. on a right-back role, a midfield role, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I suppose um, Chamberlain had the... The license to roam a bit higher up than say what Henderson would because obviously Milner was doing that covering. Well, where, that's what I mean. Yeah, Trent wouldn't normally be. Yeah, you'll you'll always need players who some are attacking and some are covering. Basically, mm. some are inclined to be involved with the ball and some are inclined to think about what happens when the ball's lost. Mm. And I think usually Trent is an attacking phase player, and you've got maybe Henderson who's a bit more inclined to think on the defensive side. Yeah, but I think those those switched. For this match, um, and I think it made sense. I think that those are the little subtle tweaks that I like to see. Did you think that impacted the actual uh, actual performance? Yeah, I side? think it, it impacted the narrative certainly, mm. uh, which we'll address anyway. But obviously, it allowed Oxley Jamie to score two goals, mm. both from outside the box, mm. uh, and you know, that just a word on the second, the second goal in particular that was, was uh, Christmas. It was a goal that you don't usually see. No. You usually see a player stab the ball like that. It was, it was like he'd. Um, as I said, stabbed it, it really into the back of the net from outside the area. Yeah, it's crazy. I was having a look and each of his previous five goals now have been from outside the box. Yeah, well we are gonna get onto that yeah. because he did he did the same yesterday uh, at yeah. the basketball game. Um Naby Keita, hundred and ten passes, uh, which was twenty five more than any other player on the pitch. Um he he just controlled the tempo for me. But in a bit more of a Bit more of a forward thinking, riskier way than than Wijnaldum usually does. Yeah, we've we've touched on it before. Do you remember you were talking about Trent, wasn't it? And we were saying about how 
some players may have a lower pass success rate, yeah. but that's because they're a lot braver. Um, and I think that's definitely catered, isn't he? He's a lot more um, attack-minded, and he'll try more penetrative balls than, say, well, now well, now who's got a really high pass success rate, but very rarely contributes in terms of creating goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last time Wijnaldum completed over 100, masses, 100 passes in a match. <laughs> it's catching on here, mate. <laughs> uh, 100 passes in a match for Wijnaldum was, I think it was January, and it was against either Crystal Palace or Leicester. I can't remember who it was. Um, but the large majority of those will be backwards and mm. sideways. And I think what Naby brought was he, he just mixed it up a bit. He passed into the box plenty. He completed more progressive passes, eight, ten more progressive passes than any other midfielder. And a progressive pass is, you know, loosely defined as a, a pass that moves the ball considerably forward. Mm. Um, so he, he he just brings that. You don't always need it, and sometimes you don't. You don't always want it, really, especially if you if you've got such offensive fullbacks. But if you like forcing the issue, you mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously, with Trent out. Mm. I just think it was it was just really interesting for me to to see how our dynamic altered in the same formation, but just with different profiles. Mm. Uh, obviously, you interpret a role based on your own skill set. Yeah. Um, but it, the the problem was because of the offensive midfield, there was a perception that we were defensively weak. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 there was a perception that there was there was a midfield problem. So someone, someone, I forgot to tell you this actually. Um, someone messaged me on my work Instagram account. Someone that I didn't follow, saying, um, "What do you think of Liverpool's defence? Um, looked looked poor tonight." And I hadn't seen anything at this point, and I was, I was a bit perplexed by it because of thoughts. You know, it, is, it isn't a poor defence, and it is that narrative that you're probably going to go into in a minute, and we'll talk about it in a sec of kind of. Moments altering a perception of a well, of I a, think of a team. I think this is the main reason we have to go back and address Genk because yeah. pe- th- this is a perception that developed for me, which was a bit of a myth. I th- I thought um, I think you're naturally inclined to see those player names in your midfield, see the odd chance that's created, and think it's the midfield's fault. Yeah, and, yeah. and things like that. Ox. You know, beneath the surface is a really, really good presser of the ball. Mm. One of our most active about. And Naby's the same. Naby's really good presser without the ball. He's not as... What's the word? I've got to say this correctly. He's, he's not as Dang. tactically aware oh, okay, as yeah. Wijnaldum is, maybe. Mm. Uh, in terms of positional sense and... and so he's a little, bit little more, like that. a little bit more gung-ho in terms of running at it, but maybe not creating the correct angles to, to press I just directly. think he's a, he's a bit more of a free spirit, if you know what I mean by that. <laughs> yeah. He's a, yeah, I do, actually. He's inclined to... you do. He does require a bit of freedom to 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 impose his own game on, mm. on the match, otherwise he'd be playing like like he's not an abicator, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but but other than that, I, I do think that Liverpool were defensively fine, and I think the the, the shots that did materialise for Genk looked like like we'd just been split wide open, but a lot of them were offside. Yeah, he's, yeah. But the referees obviously are, are instructed not if they're not certain, don't give the offside, mm. and if a goal is scored, VAR will take it back, look at it, and disallow the goal if needed. Yeah, no goals came, so the. VAR didn't get involved, but it looked like we'd been opened up. There was almost a false shot count, wasn't there? Yeah, but yeah, there was. I said, I watched all Genk's shots, all of them, even the ones off target this morning. And like, do you remember watching Samata four minutes in? It's a long ball over the top and he, he kind yeah, of gets... Yeah, really, really. So he, it's a long ball over the top and he's on the edge of the box and he takes a shot and he scuffs it a little bit. Now, I think the narrative behind that would be, you know, Liverpool have got away with it a little bit there. But when you actually watch that, the ball's over the top. He's under immense pressure. He ends up having to take a shot from about 18, basically on the edge of the penalty. So 18 yards out. Alisson with perfectly positioned. So even if it's on target, it'd have to be unbelievable to beat him. That to me isn't a big chance. No, of course no, it's uh, not. Under, under pressure, pace, and, and he, he scuffed it and... 
And we, rightfully we, we, so. We, we face shots like that quite often too. Like yeah. I, I think if 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 this was a Liverpool eleven all playing as shadows, yeah, you, you would have perceived it as a standard Liverpool type performance. Yeah. Yes, they created some, but it wasn't that different for me from mm. a typical Liverpool game. It was yeah. just if you've got that seed in your head already, case of Knoxley Chamberlain in the midfield. You're very quickly inclined to just think there's the problem, there's a problem, yeah. and it's not, it's not really true. Yeah. So for me, you know, the defensive, um, the defensive shouts that the that that it's not, it's not a midfield that should be used again or or whatever. I didn't, I didn't entirely agree with that. I thought that was a little bit, um, what's the word? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, I think there's flawed. a better way to articulate it than that. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, a little bit flawed. Um. So we went on anyway. We'll get we'll move on from Genk because I think that they're the key issues tackled. Uh, we went on to Spurs, and right away I'm going to defend my <laughs> my initial prediction last week because I obviously predicted three 0 Right, I'm pretty sure I predicted two one. By the way, I'm just going to mark your card there. <laughs> no comments on that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but if if you actually look at the match. For me, the play materialised exactly how I expected it to. The match went how I expected. It was just we conceded a goal immediately, 47 seconds in. And that changes things completely. Um, but, you know, I, I did say that Spurs are going to... I predicted it would go a little bit along the lines of Arsenal at Anfield. I thought Spurs would have to... I thought to be pending for large periods. I thought would um, create plenty of chances and things like that. And you know, for me, we did. For me, we we we, you know, we had twenty one shots compared to ten mm. from Spurs. Um, RXG was around in the region of two point four, which is solid Tight. compared to Tottenham's, which is in the region of around one uh, either side. Um, and we had thirteen shots on target, which I had a little look. That's the most we've had on target in a single match since Crystal Palace. August 2017 so the match did go roughly how I expected it to mm. it was just the score lines got immediately affected after 47 seconds so it, it couldn't materialise into that 3-0 that 3-0 match that I, that I initially thought it might have yeah, yeah. Um, but I yeah mean, I mean don't know about yourself don't know whether you thought it was a bit more competitive than no no I mean I only joked at the at the start there. Yeah, I think it did it did really pan out how how we discussed it to be honest. And um, yeah, it just so happens Liverpool weren't finishing. And I think again, no. And we talked about this a couple of times with Liverpool because the way games have panned out, the narrative of how the game was won again impacts it. You know, people calling Liverpool lucky again, but as you've just touched on there, they were fairly dominant, but. The manner of the, the victory has come via a penalty, same way it did against Leicester. Um, you know, there was the Sheffield United one where it comes via an error, but again, Liverpool were dominance on the day. Um, I think that often impacts people's opinions on how a game actually pans out. But if you do look into the into the numbers, it was it was another dominant um, dominant victory against the side who finished finished there last season, I suppose. Uh... Third or fourth, yeah. Can't really well, it might have been Chelsea off third, but it's top four side anyway. See a team that should have been really pushing Liverpool this season, and again, it was an easy victory. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a deserved win for me. Um, deserved win, I should say. Yeah, I think it's it's difficult to analyse strictly what what Tottenham's plan was because of how plans can can be impacted by the game states at the time. Mm. Obviously, if you take the lead after after one minute of football, that you. That might impact how you play. That might impact the tactical plan and things like that. So, you know, it remains to be seen if Liverpool hadn't conceded how the game would have panned how out. the game would have panned out. What the scores would have actually been, whether Spurs would have been a bit more competitive, able to get out their own half a bit more. Um, they were quite they were deep, weren't they, Spurs? Yeah, they were. Yeah. They, they were. I mean, they, they tried to hold up until kind of a mid a mid block sort of thing. Yeah. But they just got they got pushed back into a um into just a, a low block basically. Yeah, basically just, it, yeah. it wasn't as what's the word? as reactive as Arsenal. 
as passive as Arsenal was at Anfield. That yeah, was next level that, but... They seemed to press quite well, didn't they, in their own half. I thought when Liverpool were going in there, but at the same time, it's... Uh, yeah, it was. It was It was pretty much a low block. Yeah, I think uh, it's, worth, it's worth mentioning as well for me, for Fabinho was outstanding. Fabinho yeah. was... Uh, Again. Insane, yeah. yeah. In, in matches like that where you're penning a team in, he's just flawless. He... Yeah. he that's I, I wrote a piece on this week again, uh, and it was just it, it was a piece entirely focused on how he impacts us in the final third because he just a without the ball, you know if the if, if we're taking risks in the final third and they're getting headed clear by I don't know Alavidal or someone like that that loose ball Fabinho would be on on it immediately. He'd pass it to the man next to him and would recirculate again. I, I, I like to think of him as like a, a vacuum almost for those loose balls that do come out. He just seems to suck everything up in that area. And as you said... Well, did, did you see Klopp's comparison? No, no. Have you not seen Klopp's pa- comparison no, no, when you've no. just said that? No, Klopp, swear, it's spit down. I haven't, no, no. Well, Klopp compi- Klopp's called him a Dyson. Uh, there we go. That's Don't, weird. <laughs> that, was, that was legit. I'm not trying to claim Klopp's words there. Um... Well, yeah, I mean, there's an immediate comparison between yeah. what you've just said and what Klopp said. I'm just having a look now with his, his numbers from from the weekend. And he had 24 duels, won 15 of them. And his average for the season is normally 16, and he wins around eight. So it, it, his output was basically twice as high in that yeah. game. But if you look at his pass map, though, get his pass map up and look, look at how many the, the pass maps in, in the actual piece on the Echo. Uh, and you can see how wow. many of those are made right on the edge of the final third. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's yeah. it's like he positions himself as like the governor of the final third. Yeah, he's spot on. Yeah, and he'll just if any balls come loose to his, he sweeps yeah. them up. If he's given the ball, he'll switch it to Robertson. Then he'll get the ball again, switch it to Trent. And he was just he was just controlling, dictating the final third, mm. allowing us to just create wave after wave after wave of attack. Yeah, you know what? That that's that's such a good point you make. I'm just looking at it now and normally for the player in his position, like that number six role, you kind of expect it to be more passes on, say, the top heart, top end of your own half, don't you really? But yeah, he just seems to be in a position where he's penning them in, like right on the cusp of the attacking third. Yeah, I mean, he's technically labelled as a, a DM, a defensive midfielder, yeah. whatever you want to call it. That's usually the deepest lying midfielder yeah. position just ahead of the defence. As I said, there, he's really high up the field there. Have you tweeted this out or was this on the article? That was, that's in the article, I would, yeah. I'd like people to see it if they have a chance. What what piece was it? it it's it's pinned, it's my pinned tweet at distance covered on Twitter. Uh, the the top, top pieces on Fabinho. And it's just on the impact of his game, no, it, specifically related to Liverpool's final third. Yeah, it's, in some sides, right, that would be a, a number 10's pass map. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, yeah, it would. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's a, It was a superb performance, really complete. Um, I think he's he's been a superb signing. And just, as I said, just the way he's, he's constantly switching the play from side to side, because if you're a defence, that's the trickiest... Well, it's not the trickiest, but you don't want to do that, really, do oh, you? Because you don't you're want to that, yeah. yeah, you don't want spaces open up, gaps open yeah. up that you can exploit. And he's just he, he, he even provided an assist. He, he assisted Henderson's goal. Mm. Henderson's goal, the equaliser, is Fabinho picking the ball up in his little final third yeah. central role and just a uh, little diagonal pass towards the far right. And obviously Jordan Henderson does a goal. <laughs> does a goal, yeah. Jordan Henderson scored him for I think his I think he averages about one Premier goal a year every season. So that's he's got that, one, that's he's got one in early doors, yeah. yeah you don't know, he might double yeah. up. Uh, and another player that I think we have to mention is Sense Alexander Arnold. Mm. Again, his passing passing network, I posted it on Twitter before, again at distance covered. <laughs> if you want to check it, I've just posted it. His passing network is insane. Yeah. For a right back, I'm pretty sure he's 20 years old as well. I think he's 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 creating his own role. I think for me because I've I've not really seen a right back like this. That's as he's the closest thing Klopp's had to a playmaker at Liverpool. Klopp generally doesn't do the whole playmaker mm. thing, but what Trent is doing at the minute for us. 
Yeah, I mean, if you look at his passing network, it's basically a Palo-esque passing network, but from the right. Right, yeah. He's right. not in the centre. He's doing everything from the right. He's switching the play constantly to the far side, playing key passes in behind. Every type of pass is there. And it's it's really alternative. It's really different to what you mm. see. It's also very clever, though, isn't it? Because we, we know that if... So say if, if you're doing that in central midfield, and maybe come on to that, I'll, I'll ask you, because people seem to ask us quite a lot, don't they? Do you think he, he could play in midfield? Mm. I've just been asked that today, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you saying, yeah. So come on to that in a sec. But I think what's so clever about it is he he manages to be... One, he's talented to be able to do it, but also because of the system, you know, if, if chances are if you lose the ball in the middle... There's a good chance you can then be hit on a counter attack, isn't it? If you know you try one of these more penetrative balls and don't come off, but yeah. you know from right back, it's there's less risk, isn't it? It's an it's a yeah, it's exactly. something that you know um, Klopp knows, and that's why they they build so so much through the, those wide areas, and it's just really really and it, not just is he a great ball player, but he's a he's a great ball carrier as well, isn't he? He's a great well him him and Robinson to be fair, and they got they both got the best non-shot XG for ball progressions and carries in the, in the Liverpool side, which isn't really a surprise when you think how they play, but yeah, it's just um, crazy. If you look at his passing network, though, he's basically doing what he wants. He's doing abs- He's got absolutely an absolute free reign mm. from that right-back position, which plenty of players in our team, well, not plenty, but the likes of Wijnaldum, for example, our centre-mids in particular, mm. haven't. They, no. they have to play a certain way, mm. I think, to keep things to keep things assured if you like Trent is doing what he wants from a right back position and I think as I said it's it's not it's not something I've seen before the way he's interpreting the right back role I've not seen it before uh, players come to mind such as Marcelo obviously from the opposite side um, Danny Alves I've seen him compared with but they, they were different yeah. for a the start they were dribbling types mm. they were a lot more mobile in terms of being quicker I think they did they did more in the final third and things mm. like that, whereas Trent just seems to be an all-round what about playmaker from the right, what from about the right back. Lam, yeah, possibly Philip Lam. Yeah, yeah. Kim, Kimmich is another one yeah. that you could possibly compare him with. But okay, could he do it in midfield? Um, I think it's it's tricky as a six. You mean or as an I eight? don't know. It's I, no one really specifies. Just the question is, could he do it in midfield? I don't know if people are thinking more like a, like from an eight position to be honest, but because I, I don't know, I suppose maybe a six, be, because that's kind of the passing pivot what, place, so, so to speak. But I don't know, I just it's what, a different one, game. What, one tactical, like you know, idea I suppose you could say is, say for example, we signed a player like Wan Bissaka, yeah, right, and we was playing a team such as Crystal Palace, mm. right. It, you could have the option. Potentially, if you if you had maybe a more experimental manager in charge, maybe like a Rodgers or someone like that, with less pressure as well. By the way, because yeah, no, you could afford I, to I lose think a game. against a team like Crystal Palace, you could test potentially playing a Wan-Bissaka type as right back mm. to deal with Zaha, mm. while playing Trent as the right side at eight, and let mm. him do what the Bruyne does, mm. just. Drift into the areas that he ends up in anyway for yeah. Liverpool, yeah. and leave the defending to a Joe Gomez type who's going to be able to defend more, and let Trent do the same thing as he's doing anyway from that inside right position, then whip the ball in and things like mm. that. But just give him that defensive cover. So I don't think the whole midfield thing is out the question. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd like a permanent switch there, and I'm not sure he's even got the. I mean. The, the physical demand on a Liverpool midfielder is relentless. You have to run and run and run. And Trent can do that, but I think he's just... He's not that industrious type, is he, Trent? I also... My two pence on it is... I I, I don't see why Liverpool would be so keen to make that switch. Like, we're seeing now, it, it works perfectly how it is. And it is a very, as you've touched on, very unique. Like we don't can't think of any. We've sat there for a minute. We can't think of any other examples of players who are really doing it in Europe, anywhere. No. And yet, so why would you be so keen to 
potentially change the team dynamic just to bring him into midfield. Maybe it, it, as the side evolves, it, it could happen. But I'd have to agree. I think if it was going to happen, maybe the eight is best than the De Bruyne type thing. But um, say, I, just, I just think for, for, for me, the stuff I've picked up on, on what makes him such a threat is he can switch to play better than any fullback at, at, in the game at the minute for me. And the, the whip he's able to get on crosses mm. from those De Bruyne type areas yeah. inside right. Like the they're, half they're, spaces type. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're really, really dangerous. Obviously, if you're playing in the central area, central midfield, those switches of play happen a bit less because mm. you're, you're not already on the sides. And You've got a lot of tasks to do as well, haven't you, to be fair, when you're yeah. in that position. And you, you're in fewer positions to hit those whipped crosses into the box. So straight away, two of Trent's real unique tendencies that he brings to the team are almost cancelled out as a centre midfielder. But as I said, just in, in certain matches, maybe when because of the offensive player up against them at right back or whatever, maybe it would be worth just a test just to see Okay, play Joe Gomez right back and mm. play Trent as in the Henderson role, but instruct Trent to just do what he usually does, basically without yeah. the full without the full track and back thing. Because yeah. obviously, against the likes of Crystal Palace, you will dominate the ball. Yeah, you can't afford. He's not a luxury player, but you can afford a bit of you know what I mean, a bit of room. Yeah, to yeah, 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 totally. So yeah. it would be an interesting little ploy to test, like we used Shakiri last season against low block teams just to break them down. Mm. But in bigger games, we obviously didn't. In a, as a permanent shift, though, for me, no. But just in certain situations, just as a means of getting him on the ball more or something. It's just it interesting. Because we, how many times we talked about Liverpool trying ways that he might need to amend to break down these sides. So that could be an option. Yeah, he's, he's just a player that if you want to create chances and if you're struggling to do so, if you can find a way of getting them on the ball, do it. Mm. And I think at Old Trafford, our way of doing that was obviously to switch to four two three one, make Henderson occupy Ashley Young, and that gives Trent the space. Mm. But as I said, just an alternative way would be put a defensive right back in, put Trent as the right side of midfielder, and instruct him to keep drifting over to the right side and keep putting in those crosses and stuff like that. And it would be an interesting thing to, to try, but you'd have to do it in the right game, ideally at Anfield. You know, no no elaborate stupid tests in in. Bad yeah. environment, or anything like that. Just you know, where, where just, they can afford to go wrong, really. Yeah, where where if it did go wrong, we shouldn't really be punished yeah. for it. Yeah. Uh, but overall, it's not. I I I think he's on his way to being a world class, yeah. potentially the best ever Premier League right back. Well, this is the beauty of it, isn't it? He's still just twenty. You know, you've got he could still do what he's doing now for five years and still just be twenty five, and then you can look about evolving his game if needs be. It's. It feels like he's been around for a long time. I, for me, anyway, I feel like... He's scarily, yeah. scarily good. For that age. Two Champions League finals, won one of them already. Madness, mate. Lost once in the Premier League last season. We haven't lost this year yet. What he's doing for, for his age, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, um, So, final point to touch on on Spurs. Was it a penalty? Um <laughs> <laughs> We've seen really, <laughs> I mean, one angle of it to be honest. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with you and say and say yeah, it is. Just because every other time we've had these contentious penalties, I've said no. So I'll say yeah. But um, I do think he buys it. Yeah. Well, here's that. Here's a question I wanted to ask you. Um, is is it now becoming a bit of an art for these top players to to buy penalties? For example, like Mane or someone. And I'm not I'm not accusing anyone of diving. I don't even want to get onto a diving subject. No, yeah, I, think I want to point blank make it clear that I'm not no one's diving. I'm not saying that. But a few times last night, um I saw I think Brewster and maybe Chamberlain have someone come into the back of them in the box or there was a loose swing of a foot. Um I think Kalasnic tries to clear the ball and Chamberlain nips him first, so he swings and hits Chamberlain. Now, for me, if he goes down off that, that's a penalty yeah. all day. And he doesn't see plays on. And I was like thinking to myself, you know, is it now tactically shrewd to go down in those areas to win penalties? 
And is it no longer to be frowned upon? Is it almost a, an ability within a player? And I think the likes of Mane and Salah, they do it. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I think gaining fouls is definitely an art. A, a skill, yeah. yeah. But the best I've seen, well, one of the best I've seen at doing it is Ed Nazard. Yeah. So frustrating to play against because you will think you've got him. And he'll just back into you, go over. Referee has to give a foul yeah. because it is a foul. Mm. But there's been nothing really there that's even happened. Yeah. But it is a foul. Yeah. And it's the same with the Mane penalty. It's just one of those situations where he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he's not really going to do anything at all with the ball. But he's got there ahead of the man. The opposing man's committed to a decision. But Mane's in between the ball. So it yeah. is a foul. And... I, I, thought, d- I do think there's an art to it. I, yeah. do th- it, I, I thought it, the Leicester one was really soft, personally. But, uh, you know, by the letter of the law, that is... Like, I don't think it was enough for him to go down, right? But I also think, well, yeah, it's a it's a penalty. And I, I think we're in the same situation with the one against Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, we, we played, didn't we? <laughs> Last week, Echo FC. We had yeah. a game, didn't we? And yeah. in a couple of moments, a couple of pressure moments... Our team captain, we won't say his name, but he, he did he did take a few fouls to just relieve the pressure. Yeah, yeah. If you can win these fouls in certain situations to gain an edge, to gain a win, um, to relieve pressure, whatever it may be, it, it is a skill. And I'm I glad think we didn't name him, to be honest, because he'd be living <laughs> off that, wouldn't he? He probably would, yeah. Uh, but it, it is a skill, though, and uh, the best players are really good at doing it. And I th- I, For me, it was a penalty. For me... Um, yeah, it was a certain penalty, yeah. Um, so we'll move on to... Should we call it a football match? Yeah, just about. To the Arsenal game. Uh, we're not going to talk about it for too long, but absolute full Carabao. Yeah, <laughs> Full Carabao mate. Cup. You was there, wasn't you? Yeah, that's that's my first ever five-all game. Uh, which I said to you, actually, now I think about it, that's pretty obvious. I can't think of many off the top of my head anyway. But it was it was a wild night. It was a wild night. It was just a stupid, crazy game yeah. that epitomised that competition for yeah. me. It was just a, a mad fun um, play the B team competition mm. uh, match, wasn't it? Um, I think one thing I want to touch upon though is you know, okay, we got the win, penalty win, and all this, but. I don't know if it was just my my timeline at the time, but there, there was some criticism towards particularly Sepp Vandenberg mm. and a few of the kids. And I just I just think we need to put it into perspective. Obviously, a lot of people out there will just have their head screwed on anyway and they'll, they'll naturally do this. Yeah. But so many people were qu- quick to criticise a kid who's got so much development ahead of him. As a 17-year-old, the amount of development you've got to go through Still physical and largely mental at that age. It's got loads. Yeah. Ridiculous. I so to even have any sort of criticism, and not not even criticism, but if you're going to start stating definitives on his game, yeah. whether he's going to make it or not, daft. Yeah. Well, Honestly, I said to you that night, literally, I we wasn't even speaking about him in the last pod, but I just dropped him in because I'd... I'd I'd watched him the day before for the 23s. And although I'd seen clips of him, seeing him, it was the first time I watched him in the flesh. Um, I said to you, I was really impressed with him. I, grew, I watched him a lot, um, even when the play wasn't near him, just keeping an eye on him. And he, he had an aura similar to Van Dyke's in the sense that he was just so composed and he was just, he never looked flustered, cool as you like. But even in that game, he had two errors. But I said, didn't I? It, it it was nothing to worry about. He's 17. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. He, he's probably going to have these in his game for a few more years until he kind of matures. And it was just a great experience for him to play last night. Okay, I, I said to you, I don't I don't think he played had the best game at all. But it was a big step against the, a good side, you know, an he, Arsenal he's side. Put it into perspective, though. He's playing for Liverpool's senior team, senior team for the first time Yeah, on television. At Anfield in front of a full crowd, mm. defending on the halfway line. Yeah, that's the crucial thing. Mm. He's defending on the halfway line against lads who are lightning quick yeah. and are playing on the break because mm. they're technically the weaker team who are away from home. That's so tricky for for him to be put into that that scenario and cope 
and come out without any major errors. That, that's fine. Well, that's yeah, that's another thing. Then I, mean, I, I was thinking, you know, as I said, I don't think he had a, a great game, but I wouldn't. I can't think of many moments where I was like, oh, that was terrible. No, I can't. You know, the five goals that were conceded, four of them were defensive errors. That he, you know, the goalkeeper probably should have done better for two of them. Um, uh, Elliot's give one away, and I can't remember what the the other one was. But you know, there were mistakes, but none were really by him, in, in my opinion, anyway. Thought that the, you know, even the first goal. Okay, people saying he should have done a little bit better. It was just a good attack and play, good good feet in the box, laid off to Ozil. But um, yeah, I, I can't remember him particularly making any huge error in the game. But even to to judge a player though like that, based on not just his performance on the day, but yeah. you've also got to consider he's in a B team. Yeah. They don't they don't play together. Yeah. Um. So already, despite being weaker than the likes of Van Dijk, you're also in a weaker system. You've also got weaker weaker foundations and stuff like that. So, like I saw, I'm saying that because I saw people, um. Compared it to, we we were linked with selling Lover in the summer, and we didn't let him go. But if we did let him go, Sep might have been the fourth choice. Mm. And I saw people saying, you know, eh, there's no no way this lad's good enough to be fourth choice. But if you put him in Liverpool's usual ten, and yeah. he's the eleventh man next mm. to Van Dijk, yeah, with you know Robertson next to him, Allison behind him, Fabinho ahead of him, Henderson to the right of him. He's going to look a lot better, mm. trust me. He's going to look a lot more assured. He's going to have to cope with less um, vulnerability around him, greater support. Well, it's just unreasonable to judge a 17-year-old kid in his first game. Based on that, it's not it's not a fair environment for him to, for him to be judged on. Mm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I can't add nothing to that, to be honest. You know, we've talked about Gomez a couple of times on the show now that he's kind of fighting for form himself, so he's not going to be the guy... Pulling him through, right? I'm sure he was as good as he could be in terms of communication stuff, but... For me, those matches should just be perceived as almost free hits, mm. whereby if a player plays really well, t- take notes of his traits, take notes of what he's good at, get a little bit excited mm. about him. But if he, if he plays bad, that has to be accepted. Yeah. And I think Liverpool, especially Liverpool fans, were really um, been very lucky in terms of we've been able to sign players over the years that are, that are very made, mm. all ready to just step into the first 11 and perform at a, at a very high level. We obviously don't see Salah in his maturing years, Mane in his maturing years. We saw Van Dijk for the first time at, at Anfield at age like 27 or something, 26. Um, and I think, you know, s- some people are inclined to, to talk about Liverpool scouting and just big club scouting in general. And they point to players like Van Dijk and maybe Harry Maguire and say, why didn't we sign them seven years ago? Why, why, why aren't we picking up on these players seven years ago? Mm-hmm. Whereas Southampton are picking up on them when they're that age. Let let Southampton do it. We, we'll have probably been aware of them. But if we sign them at that age, we, we have to experience then their inefficiencies yeah. and their flaws. Yeah. I'm I've got, I'm absolutely fine with letting Southampton experience all those flaws before paying a bit more for the finished article. Basically, let them develop the player, and then yeah, you you can then buy the, the yeah. finished article. Yeah, and when you've got the financial ability to do so, like I think where Liverpool are, it's the food chain thing. Yeah, Liverpool should rightfully be at the top of the food chain. And the moment we start thinking that we should be signing, well, within reason. No, it's a balance, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, you still want to pick yeah. these players up, but. Um, We've potentially signed Vandenberg ahead of the curve mm. and saved ourselves a lot of money in the long term. But we've just got to appreciate that right now. He's going to make mistakes. Mm. He's not going to look like a world beater. That's normally 17. Oxlade Chamberlain, uh, another goal from outside the box, uh, which you just mentioned before. Um, and I think it's just it's an interesting note to make because last season in particular, it seems to be a dynamic Liverpool have lost since... Philippe. Since Coutinho's sale, yeah. Mm. Last season, for example, Liverpool scored six Premier League goals from outside the box. The league average, 7.4. Um, and City, for example, scored 16. That's yeah. including free kicks. But still, it's still a threat that 
Liverpool obviously lack that ideally, you know, from a squad building perspective. Mm. You just want every kind of tool, don't you? you want yeah, every, easy, every yeah. means of scoring. And well, Ox seems to be, he seems to have that threat in this game. Definitely, yeah. You know, it's you don't want to become reliant on shots from distance, as we know, because they've got low chances of leading to a goal. But, you know, that, that Manchester City basically won a title off a shot from distance last season. Yeah. yeah. All right, it was a one-off in Vincent Company, but you want to have that in your locker because it, even, you know, the goals they scored against City in that Champions League game, you know, they basically turned the tie in Liverpool's favour very quickly, didn't they? Yeah, Two massively, shots yeah. from distance. Yeah. So... No, it's an interesting little trait that he's got and it's it's gonna add a different dynamic to Liverpool's attack because obviously we don't we don't seem to have that, that type of play really. We've got strength from free kicks mm. but shooting from distance, it's as as you say, it's not something you generally wanna do. Yeah. But if it's a skill mm. that a player's got, yeah. It's fine to say to him, You clearly are good at this, you can try it more than Henderson can, you can try it more than Wijnaldum can. Especially Liverpool's midfield because you know, although we're, we're fans of it, we have been critical, and that does it lacks any real attacking ability, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> Josh just now being knocked out by his mic. There. Um, <laughs> we need to fix these mics. Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We're feeding this back to uh, to Guy. I'm sure he'll be listening soon. I'm gonna get slide tackled soon. <laughs> um, on, carry on. Yeah. So yeah, the, you know that midfield lacks goals on on the whole, doesn't it? And you know th- this is a, a just a little something extra. Um, and it also gives the defence more to think about if they know a player like Chamberlain picks the ball up you know on the, yeah, on the exactly, attack and yeah. thirds they know they've got to close them down otherwise he's capable of shooting if they close them down that then creates spaces in the round to play through so it's it's definitely worth having someone who can hit shots like he's doing yeah yeah no definitely uh, so we'll get away from um, from that match anyway yeah. thankfully crazy uh, and we'll move on to our next opponents Aston Villa uh, I have I wrote about them today. I think it was. You can, In fact, car- no, you can carry us here, mate. Yesterday it was actually yesterday. Villa after ten matches, uh, and they do, they do seem to be all right. They, they seem to be doing better than I thought they would do yeah. before the season. Because I I picked up on you know, they'd made lots of signings. Some of them initially I was like, okay, these these are fine. They're not doing a full. And then gradually and gradually and gradually yeah. seems to do a full. Yeah, like seems to start signing mad players who you've never heard of. And I also thought because we we write about them a lot, don't we? And last season, I, I remember looking at them as we were heading into the playoff run and doing previews on that. And I just didn't think they looked that great at anything really. And uh, well played, mate. <laughs> Josh just fi- fixes mic. That's probably the first time either of us have ever managed to fix it midway through yeah, a show. Yeah, don't think so. Um, yeah, I don't think they looked that great, and that was a bit concerning for them. They seemed to be heavily reliant on a lot of loan players, didn't they, last season? I was just going to say, they finished the season without a squad, really. Yeah, so their which ma- is where, where the heavy investment maybe yeah, comes Yeah, their main, their main man, Sam Abraham, which is obviously when we picked up on him to be a really good good talent that mm. bigger clubs should be picking up on. I think he scored something like 25 of their league goals, so they had to somehow replace that. Uh, they haven't strictly replaced the goals, but... On the attack and side, they, they do look, they do look decent. Yeah. Um. So for me, you know, when I was looking at them, the general takes that I got from them was just they're a bit of an old school English team. Uh, lots of randomness, lots of variance in the game, quite end to end, that sort of thing. Um. They've scored fifteen goals so far, conceded sixteen, and their possession is about. 46.8% and I used that as the kind of punchline for this is Villa because it's very 50-50 if yeah. you know what I mean um, they've conceded roughly as many as they've scored and the, the possession says 50-50 and that, that's what their game's like really they're not but, a team that you want to bet on are they let's be honest no no <laughs> I've avoided them in the in the old fantasy football yeah, thing, you know, yeah. like just because as I said you, you can't really predict them too, too well they've got a good attack their attacks I'd say top 10 at the minute in terms of the numbers that they're posting at least. Um, but they've got a bad defence. Mm. Very bad defence. Um, their XG currently is the sixth best in the league. Uh, that's better than Spurs, better than Arsenal, better than Leicester and, sorry mate, but better than Everton. <laughs> <laughs> it's not hard, is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And the, the reason their XG is so decent is because the the shoes an awful lot. That obviously under Dean Smith, he's he showed up as a quite an attacking coach anyway while he was at Brentford. Obviously mm. a very data driven club anyway. Yeah. Um, and the you know the obviously as I said, they shoot they shoot an awful lot of his 133 so far, which is the fifth most in the league, and that's behind. The the top four is it already? That's the top four. I'd say the best four sides in, in, in the country at the moment. Yeah, yeah. They're behind City, Chelsea, Liverpool, and Leicester for for shots taken. So that obviously that's that's obviously decent. I mean, a lot of them are from outside the box. I think the second in the league for shots from outside the box. Players like John McGinn obviously involved with that, and they place plenty of emphasis on crossing as well as a means of attacking, which generally isn't great. No. Obviously, it's. Quite unreliable, really, as a, as a means of attacking, isn't it? Yeah, it's not always great at converting into goals. Um, but the the, the, to be fair, I haven't looked at Villa a little bit, and the you know they seem to have half decent uh, wing backs. You know, Gilbert and I think Target, who everyone expected to be a bit of a flop, paid fourteen mil. He was like second choice at Southampton, but um, he's come in. And he seems to be doing quite well for them, actually. Um, yeah, he seems to be more attack minded than Gil with a little bit more better defensively. But yeah, yeah, they, I mean, they've, they've hit two hundred crosses in the, mm. so far in the season, which is the fourth most. I think they're the big thing behind that, actually. Say that again. I think those two are quite important in terms of the yeah, yeah, crosses in. Yeah, seems to be the, them getting up and swinging the ball in. Yeah, but the the fourth and the fourth in the division for crosses hit, mm. but the the three teams above them all dominate much more possession. Mm. I think those three teams are... Liverpool are definitely there, Everton are definitely there, possibly City, but that's simply because, as I said, they see much more of the ball, yeah. they've got many more opportunities to cross. Mm. So I think Villa cross per possession more than any other team, I guess. Yeah. Um, but obviously, they're doing so with Wesley in the box, who's a, a big lad. Yeah, I think he's same height as Van Dijk, but... I'd be surprised if he manages to to actually dominate Van Dijk in the air. I mean, yeah. When we went to Old Trafford last week, we obviously said, didn't we? With Maguire in the box, you don't want to rely on crossing too much. Villa obviously seems to rely on crossing. They're coming to well, we're going to Villa Park, but we've got Van Dijk in our box, yeah. so you'd like to think that they're one of their key means of attacking there is not going to be as useful. Yeah, it's it's too easy, isn't it? I mean, Matsup's absent, like it's worth mentioning that, but. Van Dyke's still aerially ridiculous, isn't he? Yeah, that's it. He seems to command the whole penalty box, really, doesn't he? Rather than just his massage. So, yeah, yeah. I think they, they should try and find alternative means to attack. Yeah, but th- that was leads an insistent striker, though, because when they signed him in the summer, you know, I had, I had a look at him, and he they, they seem to have identified another physically built striker mm. who can lead the line in, in the same mould as Abraham. Yeah. But without having any of the scoring tendencies that Abraham's mm-hmm. got. Abraham's really a poacher. Yeah. Really good inside the box. But Wesley showed up to me as a player who's got got a, a bit of Firmino in his game in terms of dropping off, linking others in, in yeah. getting them involved and things like that. So I've been interested to see how he's coped. He's, he's scored some, but he's also... He's also not scored in some games as well, yeah. so I wrote about he's been roughly as expected. Yeah, last year, last season before he made the move. And it was kind of a piece looking at potential players for a championship club. Um, I don't know why I'm talking like we don't need to mention it. It was Bristol City. <laughs> and um, <laughs> as if it's anything relevant. Um, but yeah, and for me, I just felt like that was his level. So I was surprised that he joined a Premier League club, even if it was a newly promoted side. It seemed like the it was such a the leap might have been too big. Yeah, uh, he, he wasn't cheap either. No, was like 20, he, 20 odd million? Yeah, twenty two, I think it was. But he, to be fair to him, he puts himself about though. He's a handful. Does yeah. make some good runs. He made a really good run against Everton. The yeah, opening goal yeah. that was a great run. And he f- a good finish as well. To be fair, yeah. So he, uh, he 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 can definitely occupy a back line on his own single handedly. But you know what I, I will say about him? Um, he seems to be the player that if he's up for it, he can be unplayable. Yeah. I found that that night against Everton, it was on Sky, wasn't it? Watched it, and he uh, he, he was having a little back and forth with Everton centre back Yerry Mina, and he seems to thrive yeah, that, on think, yeah. yeah, and it, that seems to give him an extra. Um, I don't know, an extra 10, 20%. Um, so 
How yeah. tall is Mina? He's about six odd. Is he? Yeah. I think he's far beyond that, actually. I think he's about 6'5", isn't he? 6'6", six, six, something like that. Mina or? Mina, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, Wesley's 6'4". Know that? Yeah. 6'4 slash 6'3 Van Dyke height, but I mean, I'm not sure what Mina it, but is, but I'm not sure that, if he's done well against Mina, though, cares, yeah. if he's done well against Mina, that would yeah, be Yeah, no, he did, he's a big yeah. Lad. He, uh, he did, he, you know, he really, 6'4 uh, he is. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think that's maybe something to something you don't really want here. It's not that you don't want to annoy him, but you can just want to keep him quiet. You don't want to give him any little sort of know if he wins a few challenges or a few defensive duels it could get his tail up and he could be a little bit more difficult to play against so just keep him quiet and frustrated I think yeah that might be tricky considering uh, it's obviously the league leaders at home mm. crowds start getting up and things like that but I think this is where Liverpool's game management needs to come in they just need to be you know as they've been doing to be fair just try and keep it no, try and just keep them isolated for as much as, as long as they can you don't really want to get want them to get his tail up I think yeah but I mean, you know, we, we obviously mentioned about Villa being bad, bad on the defensive side, and again, that that keeps with the theme of Dean Smith as a as a mm. as a boss. I think I think that's what he seems to be like. They're currently twentieth in the league for shots faced. They faced I think they faced one more shot than Norwich, um, hundred and seventy in total, and as a result of that, they're nineteenth in the league for xG against. Uh, the the xG pair shots quite. League average quite normal, I think. Maybe a little bit worse than league average. So they're not they're not facing clear cut chances or anything like that. But they are. It it, it does seem quite not easy, but because I, I do remember watching the Everton game and Everton found it. I think Everton had enough to score. Yeah. But they found it generally quite difficult to break down, specifically once Villa took the lead as well. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I, think just, Ming, I think Mings is generally good. I was with, just about to say, with yeah. the whole at the whole deep block thing, if he's able to soak pressure, I think Mings really thrives on that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm just having a look at the teams they face that because they have gave some shots away. Yeah? They, you know, 28 against Tottenham. Uh, yeah, that was the first game of the season, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Everton 10, West Ham 13. You know, Arsenal 18. They give away 18 against Arsenal. Yeah, hold on, they give away 19 against Norwich. <laughs> uh, Brighton got 20 against them. So. They, you know, they clearly, they clearly allow chances, but then, you know, it's how it's how quality. But the, the thing are. is, though, if you if you look at Liverpool's level, Liverpool's quality, because of the, the gap in standard there, Villa's xG per shot should worsen against a team like Liverpool. Then, so if you combine the fact that they're facing plenty of shots with the fact that they're about to face Liverpool, whereby Liverpool should be able to create slightly better quality shots yeah. than. Arsenal or Spurs or whatever you've just mentioned doesn't bode that well for them. No, no. Um, I do think it'll be trickier than the numbers suggest, though, just because I've seen them at Villa Park. They do get very up for it. What time's the kickoff? It's 3 pm. Oh, on Saturday? On a Saturday, yeah. Oh, okay. Which isn't common for us at all. No, I think that could play into Liverpool's hands a little bit. Yeah, actually. same, same, yeah. No television or like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I think if it would have been, say, like the evening kickoff on Saturday or something, then that could have been a potential banana skin. Yeah, right. I just two more things though. Two more, well, two players that I want to pick up mm. on just before we round up is I think they've got two really interesting centre mids mm-hmm. in Jack Grealish and John McGinn. Um, obviously, with with Wesley not being particularly prolific, yeah, in his nature, the reliance on goals from elsewhere, and I think McGinn and Grealish do quite a lot on the offensive side. I think, I think you you could put them. In place of Tillemans and Madison at Leicester, and the, the the do very similar in terms of they're quite progressive on the ball, yeah. offensive minded, reliance on the on the defensive midfielder behind them to cover for them, yeah. things like that. But they're, they're very interesting types, I think, yeah. as centre midfielders. Like I saw that I can't remember the source from, but I saw that of English midfielders. No, because this has been a big hot topic for England fans. Not sure there's many yet, um, but. Yeah, to being talking you know, about a creative midfielder. And um yeah, Jack Grealish created twenty five chances from open play and the closest to him was Mason Mount with just sixteen. And talking to Madison, he was on thirteen. And that was ahead of last last weekend. So it shows. Bear in mind this is Villa aren't a great side either. It just shows how creative he is and he's got like the the best numbers in terms of 
progressive runs in midfield as well. But that, that's what I'm going to say then. I think I must admit, I think Grealish is far beyond Villa's level. Yeah, I same. think he's a really, really good player. Yeah. I watched him recently against City. They obviously ended up losing, I think it was 3 0. But obviously, against a team like City, you're going to get pressed. Yeah. You're going to get pressurised in your own half. Mm. You've got little time on the ball, little space. And you cannot make Grealish, um, what's the word? <laughs> panic. Mm. You can't make him panic on the yeah. ball. Super composed, really, really confident in his own ability. He can drive you as a team up the field with the ball at his feet. You know, references to your progressive runs that you've just mentioned there. He's just a really good composed player in yeah. possession, uses the ball well, good decision maker. He's physically really built as well. Yeah. Really he is, strong. Yeah, he's got yeah. calves like Shakiri, you know. <laughs> Honestly. That's calves like my neck. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's an incessant player. Yeah, I think with Spurs last year and I like, I could absolutely see the logic in it, but it didn't it didn't materialise. Did you see him leaving beyond I mean staying beyond this this summer? I don't know. He, he does seem to have his his heart there, definitely. Yeah, he loves the club, doesn't he? But it's, and, it's and, not always enough, is it? And although he's although I am praising him here, he does seem to be quite a quite a unique tactical fit. He's a Coutinho was a little bit like that, mm. just he didn't really fit a set a, a conventional role. Mm. He's got he's gotta be and I think he's obviously getting that of Villa because of his level. Yeah. He's allowed to allowed a bit of freedom and things like that, but he's just a an odd central midfield type for a newly promoted side. Yeah. And I think I think McGinn as well. He's another another weird sense of mid because can't get me a drama again. No, he's weird because I remember I read a piece on him. I think it was recently, and he does everything except pass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's mad. Yeah, he's he, any situation he can be in, he'll do everything he can to avoid passing his way out of it. He'll he'll dribble his way out of it. He'll use his head, whatever he has to do. It's weird. Yeah, I mean it's he's complete without having the passing game. It's yeah. it's it's a Mason Mount's a bit like that. Mm. Uh, it's he's a, he's a strange type. Obviously, a bit of a goal scorer as well. Um, shoots from anywhere. Industrious, hard working, defensively good. But I get I just weird. Just alternatives to the usual. What we see. That's that's what I'm getting at. Do you think his ceiling is as high as Grealish's? Because um, Grealish to me feels like he could go all the way. Where McGinn, I know he's been linked with United, hasn't he? But I'm just a bit like. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he has got that, but but I'm asking your opinion on it. I don't know well, if he has. I've I've seen I've seen McGinn linked with Leicester. Leicester. Where you know Rogers Rogers wanted him while he was at Celtic as well. Mm. But I do think he's a good player. I like him, but I'm not sure he's. Uh, I've seen him linked with United. Yeah, Man that's United. Yeah, that's what I was no, at, talking about before. Yeah, no. If uh, that that's just put it into perspective for me, actually, I think if McGinn was linked to United, as I said, as good as he is. Not for me, but if Grealish was linked to United, I'd see a bit more logic in yeah. that. I'd, I'd think it was relatively sensible, depending yeah, on the price and things. Well, actually, I agree with that. Um, so I think we will call it a day there. Mm. Uh, predictions, obviously, after this match as well, I should say we have Genk again, but we're not going to we're not going to preview them again. We know we know what to expect from them. Yeah, if uh, there was going to be even asking on that, would have been away, wouldn't it? Then yeah, if four one win, so yeah, that should be a relatively comfortable win. So we will address that next week after the match is being played but obviously talk about Villa and Genk and then whatever's got cut in fact it's City yeah that's huge that's the big one that big is one, yeah. huge that game uh, but yeah, I'll use that now to actually preview a piece that's going up for me on I think it's Monday a long read piece big tactical preview on City nice for LFC stories that's something I've been working on for a while so check that one out but we'll address that more next week anyway verdict on Villa what do you think Scores. I'm desperate, you know, to not predict a Liverpool win every week. <laughs> but that I, could change next week, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, I'll see. I'll, I'll bank it for then. Although I actually do fancy Liverpool, but we'll save <laughs> that for next week. So, no, listen, I think um, I think what we're finding is, I've said this before, we're finding that teams are finding a way to shut Liverpool out or making life very difficult for Liverpool because it's Liverpool and they're playing Liverpool. So, again, I think it could be tight. I do, but... I still, I still think it's going to be a Liverpool win. So I'll go, I'll go three-one with two late goals for Liverpool. I think I am going to go with, despite it, despite Villa being quite clearly bad on the defensive side. Mm. I do myself think it'll be quite tight mm. too. I've just, I've seen a couple of matches this season at Villa Park. 
I think they have as a club plenty of intangibles that you can't really measure, mm. like Liverpool do. Yeah, just the way Liverpool never give up and the club aspect and you know the fans and all that stuff. I think Villa are similar in terms of you can't get a fully accurate read on them based purely on numbers and things. So I think I'm going to go two one. Again, if if Villa are pushing on late, maybe Liverpool get a late one and push yeah. it, push it to three one. But I do think it would be quite a Quite an entertaining game, um, quite tight. But two one Liverpool, I think for me. Um, we shall see. So, thanks for joining us, Dave. Of course, mate. Always uh, good to be. We'll be back next week. We'll see if we can get Christian involved with it being a city preview for the. You know, it's obviously yeah. the big game. He's eager to. To be fair to him, he is eager to. Um, yeah, he's trying to make time. Yeah, he's just he's a very very busy man. But yeah. uh, I know but everyone's missing them, so we'll we'll try and make some time for them, definitely. Yeah, if we can get the front three for the uh, yeah. <laughs> for the City game, that'll be great. But um, anyway, thanks for joining us this week, and we'll, we'll be back next week. Thanks. Cheers. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.